views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Communications, staff, management, or advertisers. Activist Radio is on the air. You have tuned in to the Mark Harrington Show, sponsored by Created Equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win. You don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. It does come out in one piece. It comes out in one piece. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. And now, here's Mark. Well, welcome everybody to the Mark Harrington Show, your radio activist here on the air, coming to you from our created equal studios here in the Midwest, coming to you also over the Salem radio stations in Detroit, Cleveland, and Columbus, and of course, streaming over my social media platforms. If you want to find out more about the Mark Harrington Show, go to markharrington.org. That's markharrington.org. I'm also the executive director for Created Equal, the pro-life organization that is training up the next generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win because winning is how the killing stops. So, folks, you're going to want to listen to the entire program today because I have as my guest Stephanie Gray, a pro-life apologist that's been... um, talking on abortion for many, many years. And in 1999, just a little backstory here before we get to Stephanie. In 1999, way back then, two decades ago, I was with the Center for Bioethical Reform, which is Greg Cunningham's organization out of California, leading the Genocide Awareness Project, which is a a project that takes huge photo murals of abortion, comparing them to historical genocide, and we were invited to the campus of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, British Columbia, by the UBC Students for Life. And um, when we arrived on the ground there, the university attempted to charge our organization $10,000 for security fees. And uh, if you don't understand what's going on there, that was to protect us from their students, which is what they should do anyway. But they wanted to charge some security fees. And people need to understand that in Canada, you don't have the same uh, rights to free speech exactly like you do here in America. They have what's called the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so, you know, this isn't unusual. But what we did is we, instead of paying that fee, which of course we weren't going to do, we sued the university And uh, despite all of that, eventually Stephanie Gray and her group there at UBC Students for Life were able to display the Genocide Awareness Project on the campus of UBC. And that kind of launched Stephanie's career, if you will, in the pro-life movement. She graduated there and then began an organization called the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform and traveled North America with uh, the Genocide Awareness Project. So at an at a young age, Stephanie was already battle-hardened, and I would consider her a what I'd call a gentle warrior. That is, that uh, combining both the heart and the head in reaching young people on abortion. In other words, we need to be compassionate and bold. And she's written a book called Love Unleashes Life. Love Unleashes Life and in which she speaks about talking to both the head and the heart on abortion. And folks, if you, you wanna get a, uh, a 
pro-life apologetic on uh, one of the best books out there. You can go and get her book, Love Unleashes Life. That's Love Unleashes Life, and you get that at loveunleasheslife.com. So without further delay, we welcome Stephanie Gray. Stephanie, <laughs> thanks for being on the Mark Harrington Show. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be on your show. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to do, Stephanie, is talk a little bit about the book, first of all. Uh, why did you write this? Love Unleashes Life. Why did you write this and what's in the title? Sure. So I wrote it after years of experience, which you've referenced, of interacting directly with people who support abortion and are giving me the arguments that I had studied, that I had read about, that really were theoretical. But then they were coming through an actual person from a, their own perspective and their own unique circumstances. And I was starting to see over time that as much as it is important that we have a very sharp mind, a well-trained mind, we also need to have a very tender heart because as time went on, I kept meeting students who would tell me their stories of pain, of abuse, family of origin troubles. And I started to see, oh, I can't get through to some of these people, maybe because there's an emotional issue rather than just an intellectual stumbling block or whatever the case may be to receiving the pro-life message. So having used so many different pro-life apologetics books to train myself, I didn't have a plan at the very beginning to write yet another book on how to dialogue with people on abortion. And it was only after I, for years, had been doing it that I thought my experience has given me new insights that I could contribute to the field of pro-life apologetics. And so you wrote the book, Love Unleashes Life. And so that the title mm. is really about that, reaching the heart and the head, right? Yeah. And if, you know, one of my favorite quotes is on my website, um, and, and you certainly know that I've studied a lot, the writings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And right. a lesser known quote of his, which is one of my favorites, is he said, whom you would change, you must first love. Mm -hmm. And they must yep. know that you love them. And the reality is we are trying to unleash life figuratively or literally, of course, literally in saving the life of a preborn child in danger of abortion, whose mom is considering abortion, uh, but also figuratively, we meet so many wounded people that uh, they may be, for example, I find a lot of people I've dialogued with, a lot of young women on college campuses can be quite hostile towards men. And perhaps that's, and you know, speak negatively of pro-life men, but that's perhaps because their experience with men in their own lives has been very negative. And I don't share that view because I've had a very positive experience of men in my own life. And so um, we need to, in a sense, unleash life in them. If their spirits are down, if their perspective is negative, um, if they are wounded, then we want to restore their spirit the way we want to preserve a preborn child's life. And so if we love them as well as the child and they know that, then we can save babies from abortion and we can help win people to want to be pro-life because they see there's something good, true and beautiful with not only our perspective, but with our movement. Again, my, my guest is Stephanie Gray. You can go to her website at loveunleasheslife.com to find out more about her ministry. You can also order the book there or go to Amazon and pick up the book, Love Unleashes Life. Stephanie, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the privilege of having you here in Columbus to address our graduates from our internship. And in that uh, talk, which, by the way, is on our website right now and also on Facebook and YouTube, you talked about the five ways that preborn children teach us to love. I thought that was 
hugely uh, insightful, let's just say, because we often don't consider or we don't take it from the perspective of what the preborn can teach us. Not to go over all five points, but if you would give us a little insight into that, because this is, I think, something new that maybe pro-lifers need to be aware of, because we don't think about it in the terms that you put it that day. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know that, I mean, as with all my presentations, even though I have a core message that I always communicate, and if people have heard me somewhere and then somewhere else, they might find some overlap. I do really try to discern, um, is there new stuff I should incorporate or a new angle that I should come from? And so when I was taking your event to prayer, especially because I knew I was speaking to an audience that knew pro-life apologetics, that, mm -hmm. you know, eat, slept, and breathed pro-life apologetics, right. it was like, okay, well, what can I offer? And through prayer, I kind of felt that divine inspiration. But it's funny, now that you should you should ask me to recall it, I'm like, what Can did you? I say? I know there were five points. It just came well, the, from the, the fact that you just came up with this on the fly over several days in prayer and so forth <laughs> is pretty impressive. I can just say that. Um, I know I did speak about silence, which is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, my point was that we often look at how how we can help preborn children, and that is obviously right. what we do because they can't speak, they can't defend themselves, they can't run yeah. away from the abortionist instruments. Um, but I started to think, you know, the very nature of a child who's weak who's vulnerable, who's dependent on others, um, mm -hmm. that is teaching us something. So in their vulnerability, they actually are teaching us something, although they don't know they're teaching it to us. And so I came up with, you know, I'd like to say the Lord inspired me with, with five points. And, and one of them was their vulnerability, the fact that they are totally dependent on their mothers, mm -hmm. that they will die without that connection. I used as a demonstration to say, that's a lesson to us that we are totally dependent on our creator and that if we do not stay connected to God, if we do not abide in Christ, um, we are going to have problems and we're not going to thrive. In fact, we're going to die. So um, we need to stay connected to our source of strength the way the preborn child does. Another thing I spoke about uh, that comes to mind is silence. You know, when mm -hmm. it comes to the pro-life movement, we often don't talk about silence in a positive way. We speak about right. silence in a negative way. Well, the baby is silent. People right. who are against abortion up. are all too often silent. And this is bad, bad, bad. And of course, in that context, it is bad the child can't defend herself. It is bad that people don't speak up for the children when they, when they should. Uh, but there's a flip side to the concept of silence, which is that there is uh, a time for silence. Silence mm -hmm. enables us to hear that which we can't hear if we have a lot of noise. And uh, as a musician, I often know that, you know, when I'm playing a song on the piano, if there's a really loud, fast part, and then suddenly it goes very quiet, there's a pause, and then you keep going. The power of what happened before the pause is magnified by the pause. And if you kept going, people wouldn't have a chance to take it in. So I think there's something to be said for the silence of the preborn child to remind us to enter into silence and think about how when we're dialoguing with someone, if I just pause for a moment, mm -hmm. All right. then they're gonna think about what I said <laughs> before it's gonna settle in a little more. Well, that's powerful stuff. Folks, if you want to uh, listen to that speech, that talk uh, to our graduates at our internship graduation, you can go to our website at Create Equal, and you can also go to our YouTube page or Facebook page to watch that entire talk that Stephanie gave several weeks ago. Well, Stephanie, I want to switch gears real quick and just kind of dive into some of the pro-life apologetics. Um, 
since I think you are one of the uh, premier apologists, I know you've learned uh, from the best, you know, Greg Cunningham, Scott Klusendorf and others. Uh, we're often thinking thoughts after others that, uh, and we stand on their shoulders. So, but I understand um, you're, you're, uh, you have a platform to speak to many in America about this. So let's just dive in and, and discuss some of these, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. Because I know you cover those in the book, Love Unleashes Life. So let's go ahead and just ask a couple here. We, we hear this often from the uh, pro-choice side that abortion needs to remain legal in the cases of rape and incest. How would you respond to that? I think if I was to respond really quickly, I would say I agree that rape and incest are crimes, that they are evils, that we need to have laws against them and consequences for people who break those right. laws. The question I would ask myself and ask society that considers itself civil is this, would it be fair to give the death penalty to an innocent child. Because the reality is when someone has been victimized by rape or incest, they are a weaker party that has been unjustly dominated and hurt by a stronger party, and we consider that wrong. Mm -hmm. If a child is conceived in the act of rape or incest, we then have another weaker party, the child in the womb, who through abortion would be dominated and harmed uh, in a procedure that would end that child's life. And so the reality is abortion is not going to undo the rape. It's not going to right. take away the memories of what happened. Instead, it's going to introduce another victim. Not only do we have the victim of the rape, but we have mm -hmm. the victim then of, of the abortion. And I often point to the story of um, a public speaker and a friend of mine that I met at an event, Leanna Rebolito. Uh, she's from Mexico City. And when she was 12 years old, she was kidnapped and brutally raped for days. And when she was eventually freed sometime later, she went to the hospital and was found out that she was pregnant. And the doctors offered her at the age of 12 an abortion. And remarkably, Leanna asked a question and she said, if I have an abortion, will it take away all the feelings I have that I'm dirty, that I, that I can't get clean? Wow. And the doctor had to answer that technically, no, the abortion wouldn't undo that trauma and those memories. Right. And then she said in an interview that I just didn't see the point. And uh, she carried through with that pregnancy, gave birth to her daughter and basically grew up with her daughter. And, and, um, and her witness, I think, is proof that it is possible to do the right thing, even when we have been victims of the most horrible, evil thing. My guest is Stephanie Gray. You can go to her website at loveunleasheslife.com. Get the book Love Unleashes Life there. Also, you can go to Amazon and pick it up. Uh, you talk about in your book, and this is a little bit of a uh, divergence from the apologetic stuff, but you talk about doing hard things mm. that, uh, and I think that's a very powerful part of the book is that we don't really ask or uh, even, yeah, we, we just don't really challenge people today, especially women who might be pregnant in an unplanned pregnancy to do hard things. I mean, you're talking about that example of the woman there that was raped and she did the hard thing. Mm -hmm. uh, people are looking for an easy way out. Yeah. They think it's an easy way out and it's mm -hmm. often not. Uh, and then of course, in this case, asking a woman to uh, parent the child, bring the, uh, the, the baby to term and, and uh, find an adoptive family. This is not easy. We're not asking people to do the easy thing. We're asking them to do the hard thing 
Uh, we can make it easier, but we can't make it easy. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really strong point you make in the book. Well, you know, Mark, that came out of, I, I can actually visualize where I was with you really? in Florida uh, many years ago. It was one of the earlier uh, Genocide Awareness Project exhibits that we were doing together, but with a group of Canadians I was bringing down because I used to come right. down alone, join your American team. And then I started right. to bring Canadians with me. And I'm um, actually a guy, Emil, one of our team members, you might remember him. Uh -huh. uh, yep. It was the year that he was there. And I distinctly recall, the story doesn't relate to him, but I remember him there. I, I recall a student, I was going back and forth in dialogue with and he kept bringing up hard cases what about pregnancy from rape what about these terrible emotional you know awful situations for someone to be in and as none of my answers were getting through i kind of paused for a moment i had this insight and i said to him you know hmm. if i'm hearing you right it sounds to me like if there were like a little ruler or a measuring stick for how we decide something do I take this course of action? Do I take that course of action? It seems to me as I'm hearing you that your measuring stick is based on two factors, what's easy and what's hard. And if I'm hearing you, it sounds to me like when you are identifying the hard, your measuring stick is, well, then I don't do it. And you find right. out the easy. And I said, I think we're, we're not connecting because I'm actually coming from a different perspective. I said to him, I have a different measuring stick. I said, when I'm trying to determine uh, whether I ought to do something, not can I do it, but should I do it? And a should question is more a moral question. Mm -hmm. I said, what I'm asking myself in my measuring stick is not what's easy versus what's hard. I'm asking myself what's right versus what's right. wrong. Right. And, and so when I started to explain it to him that way, the student got it and was like, oh, okay. And then we were able to then discuss that. Right. Discuss uh, right and wrong, morality, probably mm -hmm. led to objective truth, all of that. about the gospel and so forth. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to one of the tough ones. What about the abortion in the case of the when the mother's life might mm. be threatened? Yes. So commonly brought up in conversation. And this is where I like to ask a question. And I will say to the abortion supporter, hypothetically, if there was a way to save the mother's life without doing an abortion, would you choose that path instead? And depending on how attached they are to their position, they might say, well, well, there is no way. There is never a situation where you um, will never have to do an abortion. And I said, okay, for the sake of argument, just right now, let's just explore if there was, would you be okay with not doing an abortion, but instead choosing this other path? And if I can get them to at least entertain that thought and say, yes, I would consider the alternative if I could still save the mother's life, then I use that to demonstrate that deep down the desire is to preserve both lives, that we don't want to do an abortion, that when a woman's life is in danger, it's not like a woman says, oh, you know, I've been thinking about having an abortion. So now that my life is in danger, I'm kind of glad I have a reason to follow through on that desire for abortion. No, typically it is, I'm pregnant, I'm so happy, my friends and family are celebrating, and then I go and have some type of a prenatal test, and it's like, oh my goodness, your body's reacting poorly, you know, um, this is not good. And so we're typically talking about wanted and desirable pregnancies. So therefore mm -hmm. I say, just kind of establishing that perspective, I then make the point that when two people's lives are in danger, and if both lives are innocent, it would be wrong to directly and intentionally kill an innocent human being. And that just because 
abortion or and, and therefore abortion does that. So therefore, if we believe it's wrong to directly and intentionally kill innocent human beings, it would follow that abortion is wrong. But just because I say abortion is wrong in that case doesn't mean there aren't alternatives that whatever the woman's medical condition is, if I go in and address that, that that is my action, that is my intention, mm-hmm. whether I save the child's life or not, that's different from abortion because abortion targets the baby's body with the intention to end the child's life. So if a pregnant woman for example, has cancer, and it's determined that it's so severe, we cannot wait for the pregnancy to end, we need to immediately be, you know, begin chemo or whatever the case may be, um, that it's okay to address the cancer with chemotherapy, or, um, you know, doing surgery, whatever the case may be, because in those situations, we're not targeting the baby's body, we're targeting um, uh, the the woman's actual condition. So I, I know we're short on time, but I would just summarize the point to say, one, as you pointed out, there's a thorough answer in my book, but two, uh, we can address underlying medical conditions without doing the act of abortion, which dismembers the body of a baby. My guest is Stephanie Gray. You can go to her website at loveunleasheslife.com, pick up the book, Love Unleashes Life, if you want to learn more about defending the pro-life position And also, I exhort you folks, if you're interested in bringing Stephanie to your town, to your city, you can also invite her to come and speak. She's one of the best. There's no doubt about that. All across America, she travels and Canada, for that matter, around the world. Uh, One last question uh, I want to throw at you, Stephanie, before we finish the program. And you often hear this. uh, If abortion's made illegal, Mm. again, uh, and we are we going to criminalize women? Uh, why not keep it safe and legal and leave it up to the woman to decide? Mm-hmm. So when people speak about keeping abortion legal so it's safe, the question we have to ask is safe for who? Right. That abortion is never safe for the preborn child. To be dismembered, decapitated, right. and disemboweled is not safe for the baby. So the question then becomes, when someone is going to commit an act of homicide, do we legalize that particular act of homicide in order to make it safe for the actors? No, we never do that. You know, if you legalized bank robbery, for example, robbers wouldn't have to, you know, make a speeding getaway in a fast car. Um, and therefore, it would be safer for them because there's a risk of a car accident if they're driving away recklessly and really quickly. But we don't legalize right. bank robbery to make it safer for the robbers. So right. I like to make the point that the goal is to make abortion unthinkable. Do I think it right. should be illegal? Yes. Yes, obviously. But I think that if you change public opinion, when public policy changes, there won't be large numbers of people breaking the law, just like there aren't large numbers of women who uh, drown their children in the bathtub, which is something right. Andrea Yates did, a mother of, I think it was five children. Uh, mm-hmm. Her actions were not common. And if we can make abortion as unthinkable as killing your born children is unthinkable, then I think down the road, abortion will not be um uh, you know, the law on that won't be broken like like with other things. And some people say, well, at some future point when the law changes, should women who have abortions go to jail? And I say, we have right. to be consistent. The question mm-hmm. is, when anyone breaks a law, when anyone ends another innocent person's life, should jail time be a possible consequence? Yes, it should. And only when the case goes before a court of law and you determine whether someone was of sound mind mm-hmm. and therefore criminally responsible or they were not of sound mind and therefore not criminally responsible, were they pressured? Were they coerced? Did they consent? Mm-hmm. Did they not consent? Was intention? Was it not intention? All of that uh, would be considered. But the reality is, sadly, abortion is not yet unlawful. Uh, therefore, women who who have abortions, sadly, they're not 
breaking a law. Uh, it, they should be, it should be considered that you're breaking a law. That's not the case in, in some places, although I see we have some good pro-life laws coming in in some of your states. Yes, um, so do. that reality of legal consequences isn't yet happening. Um, so before we get to the nitty gritty of what should we do when the law changes, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, should this be against the law? Is it homicide? And if it's homicide, why would we ever legalize it? Right. Good answer. And also, of course, we do want to criminalize the abortionists themselves who are clearly culpable, know exactly what they're doing. Yes. Of sound mind. To, yeah. Of sound yeah. mind. They're, they're making they're money. Using, they're getting using, a profit. Exactly. <laughs> they're you hired hitmen. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, as far yeah. as the women go, obviously, there's levels of culpability. Absolutely. Mike, Mike Adams, the uh, professor of criminology, I think, at the University of North Carolina, calls the meeting of the minds. Is there a meeting mm -hmm. of the minds between the abortionist and the woman. And it, it, as we all know, there rarely is. I mm -hmm. mean, the woman often doesn't really understand exactly what mm -hmm. she's doing. And therefore, you've got to take that into consideration. Well, we got to wrap things up. We got about 15 seconds. Give us a, a, a parting word, if you would, Stephanie, for my listeners. Well, I think at the end of the day, it's important that we seize the moment and the opportunities right before us and not be overwhelmed by too many things we can't do, but instead focus on the few things that we can do and get equipped at loveunleasheslife.com. All right, Stephanie Graysman, my guest here on the Mark Harrington Show. Go to markharrington.org to find out more about our work and also go to Stephanie's website at unleashes, un, loveunleasheslife.com. Stephanie, again, thank you for being on the program. We'll see you next time. God thank bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808, 614-269-7808, or go online to createdequal.net, createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.